morning. So we're going to try to cut this off at about 10 till. Uh, but moving forward, we'll have a little extra time on Sunday evenings to have a, let's call it a fuller service. First Timothy 6, tonight we're introducing this topic. I do not know how many weeks the Lord would have us take on it. I'm going to say maybe four or five at the, at the least. But we're going to talk about science versus God. That's at least the title that I'm giving it for now. And um, we're going to tonight give you some introductory ideas, maybe some definitions and a few foundational thoughts. In 1 Timothy 6, in verse number 20, the Bible tells us here, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Timothy has a ministry. That is what has been committed to his trust. Uh, specifically, his ministry was a local church. So, here we are. We are in the ministry of a local church, and then he is given some advice on certain things to avoid. Avoiding profane and vain babblings. People are just going to make stuff up. Silly opinions, silly notions, things that don't make sense. This is the akin to mythology. Right For several thousand years, all over the world, it's just mythological stuff, the tokolos. It's a mythological creature, but to this day, there are people that truly believe the tokolos lives under their bed or in their closet. And those are the type of things you just let that slide. I mean, the tooth fairy, Father Christmas, sorry if any of the young ones still struggle with that, but all of those things, you just avoid such things as if they are realities, right? And then he goes on to say, and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Right, that word science, uh, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. That's what science is. It, is. it is a body of knowledge. But the way that is used here, and I think so wonderfully translated in this Bible, oppositions of science. You, you, you could say oppositions of knowledge, but that would be so broad, especially in these end days. One of the things that is strongly fighting against the faith, against the Bible, against the idea of God, is the field of science. Knowledge would be too broad of a word. He says, avoid oppositions of science falsely so called. So not everything that calls itself science is science. So what we're going to talk about tonight is, is science up against God? Are science an enemy, uh, is, is science an enemy of God? Are the two able to coexist? Now, this, uh, I believe, is relevant because more than once, your faith is going to be challenged as you grow up in the school system, and then as you become a, an adult, it is just all around us now, the idea that science has all the answers, and that if you have science, you do not need God. That is, in a nutshell, how people put it. Now that we have science, we have no need for God because science explains everything. Let me say a couple of things before we get into all these technical terms and whatnot. I have no intention of pretending tonight to know all these scientific terms on any sort of eloquent or professional level, okay? I'm not a scientist. I don't claim to be. I can follow the conversations as I watch uh, Discovery Channel or as I read a book, as I sit through a lecture. I can follow along for the most part. I must admit, I do need a dictionary on hand. Because, you know, when you get into these scientific type uh, atmospheres, they can use some words, you know, longer than my arm, and you, you got to look them up. But, you know, even in a lot of churches, they can pull out those words longer than your arm. And it, it, it kind of gets into a contest trying to impress you with how big of the word, the word is that they know how to use. 
Um, there are probably some engineers in this room or doctors or chemists or whatnot. You could probably do a better job of explaining the science behind something than myself. And I acknowledge that, okay? So my goal in this series is, is mainly two things. I want to show that God and science can not only be friendly but coexist and that they actually, the one needs the other. The one is not possible without the other. Uh, I believe that you shouldn't think of it as God over here and science over here choose one. That's how society tries to put it forth to us. I don't think that's true at all. I think you put Jesus Christ, you put the God, uh, the God that created everything at the foundation and everything is built on him. Science, philosophy, religion, every important part of life springs forth from God. All things are of him, through him, and to him. I believe science glorifies and magnifies God. So I'm all for science. What I'm against is science falsely so-called. Things and, and theories that claim to be scientific when actually they're not scientific theories, they are just fairy tales. And those are things in the weeks to come that we're going to dig into a little bit. All right, D does the Bible make scientific claims? Let's, let's deal with that question. While I find my water, does the, Bi does the Bible make some scientific claims? Because the second goal that I have here, forgive me, I, I want to show that God and science can friendly coexist and the one needs the other. I want to show the Bible's reliability as it pertains to scientific things. I want to show you from the Bible that we can depend on it, but we have to dig into that question a little bit. Does the Bible make scientific claims? Yes and no. Yes and no. The, Bi the Bible, you don't find it explaining how certain things work, right? We don't read about the evaporation cycle in detail as to how it works. We don't read about the re re reproductive cycle and how it works. But the Bible does say some things about that. It does mention nature. It does mention how the, the movements of nature, things like that. In the book of Psalms, you'll read a, a passage where it talks about paths being in the sea, paths in the sea. I believe it's in Psalm 8, paths in the sea. Science did not understand that for thousands of years. For a few thousand years, they, what, what is a path in the sea? It just looks like a body of water flowing. But sure enough, after a couple thousand years, science figured out there are actually paths in the sea. So the Bible makes some claims, and it doesn't explain how there is a path in the sea. It just makes the statement, there are paths in the sea. So I believe you can go to the Bible and support, let's say it this way, you can go to the Bible, read about nature, and then go to science, and you'll find that the science supports what the Bible says about those uh, pieces of nature, all right? I, I believe you can find that. Um, another question I think that should be raised, does science disprove or support biblical claims about the natural world? And this is something I want to get into in a little bit of detail, so I'm going to give you several examples probably next week. All right, so let's dig in. Uh, first of all, an explanation of science. When we talk about science, we're asking, is science versus God? Are they against each other? Well, let's properly understand what we mean by science. Not everybody agrees on the definition of that. Even among scientists, they don't always agree on what science really is. So here's the definition that I would work with. This is what I grew up understanding. This has been changed as time has gone on. But the, I, I think the most reliable explanation is this. Things in the natural world that are testable, repeatable, and governed by natural law. 
That science happens when you can test it, observe it, and repeat it. You are watching how a thing works. So science is already going to be limited to the natural world. You cannot do science, not natural science, in the supernatural world. Do you understand? There's going to be limits to science. So just by properly defining it, we know where to use science. As soon as you take science into the supernatural realm and try to explain supernatural things, then, then science isn't going to work. We wouldn't expect it to work. It wasn't built for that, right? Because you cannot observe it. You cannot force things in the spiritual realm to repeat themselves and so forth. Now, one of the more modern ideas of, uh, of defining science is to say this. It is a method of inference to the best explanation, otherwise known as the scientific theory or abduction. So what they say is we test a thing, we make our notes, and then we try to explain what is the most likely explanation for how this thing works. Well, you understand when you say what is the most likely thing, that means there are options and somebody is choosing what they think the most likely option is. Well, in order to make that choice, they are going to be biased as they approach the table to look at the notes. They are all, and all of us would do this. This isn't just an atheist or a scientist. Me as a Bible-believing theistic person, and we'll talk about that term in a moment. When I approach the table, I believe there is someone called God, who is a personal, interactive, intelligent designer of the universe, I'm going to look at the evidence through the eyes of that worldview. Well, the scientists will come to the table and say, okay, here's what I notice happening in nature. What do I think is the best explanation for how this came to be and why it happens? He has now left behind science. The science happened when he observed how that thing operated. He leaves that and he steps into the realm of imagination. This is what they call forensic science, where you create a backstory that you believe best fits what you currently see. You, if you watch crime shows, you know, the detectives will show up and there's a murder or a crime that has taken place and they, the detective detects. He goes in and he observes and this weapon was found here and this gun casing there and, you know, bullet casing and you got DNA evidence and so forth. And they collect all the data. Then what do they do? They go back to their office and they rebuild the crime based on the evidence they had. If this was in the room and if that was over there, then that means there had to have been this many perpetrators and the, the person was dead this long. Okay, they have some facts. They can create a bit of a backstory, but they, they, don't, they don't have every fact that you could possibly work with, and they're just creating the best possible explanation in their opinion. Now, is that scientific? Well, according to modern definition, that's science. But I'm not sure that's reliable science. My pastor used to say it like this, the theory of evolution, natural biological evolution by natural selection, he said that is just a fairy tale for grown-ups. And there's a reason that he gave it that term, a fairy tale for grown-ups, because it is a made-up story that fits what they think produced that evidence. So th th that is something we might delve into in the days to come. Let's deal more with this introductory question are science and God enemies, all right? To listen to some, you would think that you have to choose one or the other. 
If you believe in science, then you cannot believe in God and vice versa. And that is kind of forced upon churches. They make you sometimes think that if you are a believer in God, that means, ergo, you have thrown science out the window. You, you don't think anything scientific is true. And that's not the case at all. But you can listen to men. I'll just throw some names at you. Peter Atkins, I believe he's a famous chemist and a famous anti-theist. Richard Dawkins is another one. There's several others. Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, etc. And uh, they will make statements like this. Richard Dawkins, he believes that faith runs contrary to science. Here's his, faith, uh, here's his statement about faith. Scientific belief is based upon publicly checkable evidence. Religious faith not only lacks evidence, its independence from evidence is its joy, shouted from the housetops. So Dawkins is saying that we rejoice in that we have no evidence. I don't rejoice in that. It's interesting that when Dawkins was in a debate with a, a believer named John Lennox, a famous mathematician from Oxford, Lennox asked him after Dawkins made a, say, a statement similar to this about how we just have blind faith. We just believe whatever we want. We make it up as we go. God of the gaps kind of a thing. And Lennox smartly asked him, he said, Mr. Dawkins, do you have faith in your wife? And Dawkins replied, well, of course I have faith in my wife. He said, is there a good reason for that? Is there any evidence for faith in your wife? And he said, yes, there's plenty of evidence. And the whole crowd caught on to what he just said. Because the statement before was, you only need faith if you have no evidence. He said, faith kicks in when evidence is gone. So you either have evidence or you have faith. But then Lennox asked him, do you have faith in your wife? Yes. Is there evidence? Yes. Well, the whole crowd started to laugh, and even Dawkins said, well, let's leave my wife out of it. <laughs> hey, just switch, the, uh, let's change the question a little bit, reword it. Do you have faith in God? Right? He said, do you have faith in your wife? Right, let's put God in there. Do you have faith in God? Yes. Is there evidence for that? Yes. There's plenty of evidence for that. The very fact that there is order in the universe speaks to the idea that somebody had to give it order. So is there evidence for God? Absolutely. There is a reason that we believe what we do. So to, say, to make the claim that we're a bunch of country bumpkins yelling, yee-haw, we don't need science, that's, that is not what we're doing. I'm all for science when it stays in its lane. All right, so many will try to make it sound as if there's science on one side and God on the other, and that all scientists are atheists and all theists or, or believers in God, uh, we are all anti-science. So let me give you a few quotes from people that are scientists, world-renowned, and how their faith does not interfere with their belief in science. I think you know the names Isaac Newton. He was a very stable believer. And he had no, his belief in God did not hinder him from figuring out the theory of gravity. Gra gravitation was not hindered, right? His idea of it, because he believed get Galileo the same way, his teachings on heliocentricity. That didn't, uh, his belief in God didn't slow him down. Here's a man named John Houghton, FRS. I looked in, I had to look that up. What is FRS? And I believe it means something like uh, 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 for, uh, a member of the Royal Society, something like that. I, I a friend of the Royal Society, if I'm not mistaken. So he's rec highly recognized. He says, our science is God's science. He holds the responsibility for the whole scientific story. 
The remarkable order, consistency, reliability, and fascinating complexity found in the scientific description of the universe are reflections of the order, consistency, reliability, and complexity of God's activity. Well, here's a scientist that says, I I am observing the same things that my fellow unbelievers are, and I see God's hand in it. Furthermore, a man named Sir Gillian Prance He said, for many years, I have believed that God is the great designer behind all nature. All my studies in science since then have confirmed my faith. I regard the Bible as my principal source of authority. He's also FRS, a friend of the Royal Society. So don't, don't believe, don't bite on the bait of, well, if you're a scientist, it means you can't be a believer. It's not one or the other. The two can work perfectly. Uh, One other gentleman, this is uh, a man named Melvin Calvin. He was speaking about the scientific conviction that there is order in the universe, and he's a Nobel Prize winner for biochemistry. So he's not a chump. Here's what Melvin Calvin said. As I tried to discern the origin of that conviction, where did this order within the universe come from? As I tried to discern the origin of that conviction, I seemed to find Uh, find it in a basic notion discovered two to three thousand years ago and enunciated first in the western world by the ancient Hebrews. Do you know what he's talking about? Right here. He's saying, I find it in, in the Old Testament. He said, and enunciated first in the western world by the ancient Hebrews, namely that the universe is governed by a single God and is not the product of the whims of many gods, each governing his own province according to his own laws. This monotheistic view seems to be the historical foundation for modern science. He said a mouthful there. He not only sees that nature has to come, the finely tuned universe that we have has to come from a supernatural being, but he also recognizes it has to come from only one. Because the ancient Greek mythology, Roman mythology, African mythology, Chinese mythology, they all have the ideas that there's one God for thunder, another God for lightning, another God for water, rain, fire. There are all these separate gods over various parts of nature. And his idea was if there were multiple gods, it would be very difficult to explain how they make everything work together perfectly. Because in every mythology around the world, unanimously, the gods fight. So to think that all the gods came together peaceably to make this finely tuned universe is against the mythological teaching. Except when you come to the Bible and it says there are not a multiple number of gods. There's one God that perfectly created everything and anything stood back and said it is good. It works. And from this notion springs forth science. Because scientists must start, listen to this, Scientists must start with faith. That you cannot do any science without faith. So what do I mean? You have to approach the table. Before you do one test, you have to believe that the universe is stable. And that you are going to be able to repeat the test and that the laws of nature will work again. Now, how, what's the scientific theory to prove that? How can you scientifically prove? You say, well, every time we do it, it works. Yes, but you haven't, you, you haven't tested everything on the planet and everything in the universe. But when you approach it, you believe, if I repeat the test, I'm going to get similar outcomes. And I'm, that's a faith claim. 
That's a philosophical claim to say that the universe is stable. You haven't tested everything in the universe. So out goes science, in comes faith to begin with. And it's that faith in the stability of science that allows them to do it. And this gentleman says it properly. Monotheism is the best explanation for what we see around us. That one God working singularly built everything in a finely tuned way. So here is my... uh, my conclusion to this, what I discern from this, science is not against God. Science and God are not enemies. There are some scientists that are enemies with God. That's really the problem. So next week where we're going to pick this up is we're going to discuss what the real battle is. The real battle is not science versus God. The real battle is two worldviews. Naturalism versus theism. And I'm just going to briefly explain it, and then we'll, I'll save all the, the difficult stuff for next week. Naturalism is the idea that the only thing that exists is natural. There is nothing supernatural. All things are contained within the clo- closed system of nature. So if you are a naturalist, you believe in what you can see, taste, touch, hear, smell. That's what's real. Nothing else is real. The idea of God, the idea of even... This is maybe a little beyond our discussion, but some people will make a distinction between naturalism and materialism and the functions of the mind. Some will say that even the functions of the mind, that is not, that's just part of nature. It's part of our brain. So they will even say, you don't have a mind. The mind is an illusion. You only have a brain. Now, see, whenever you listen to these debates and discussions and they say, nobody has a mind, you almost want to go, amen. (laughs) We only have a brain. Okay, you know what? I, I get it. I understand the distinction they're making between a brain and a mind. The mind is more of a spiritual thing. The brain is a physical thing. So I understand the distinction between the two. But to say that the mind is an illusion, it is just a function of the brain, that is more of a faith claim. How do you prove that scientifically? There's no science. That is just somebody's opinion. So naturalism will say everything can be explained by science. Everything. Science can explain everything. Even Peter Atkins, Richard Dawkins, they have said this numerous times. We do not need God because science can explain everything. To say that God created it, they say, is a bad answer. Because God is more complex than the thing that you're trying to explain. So we're just making it more difficult by saying this very complex being as God created what we have. But wait a second. That's how, that's how everything in nature works. Simple things come from more complex beings. Adults are more complex than babies. Right? Now I know that a baby is, is a potential adult. I get that. I understand we share a lot in common, but listen, babies are not as complex as adults just because of life experience and and maturity. So adults are a little more difficult to work with. And and without getting into too much biology, right, it's a top-down system. Babies come from adults. Right? Babies come from... So more complex beings create simpler beings. (laughs) Does that make sense? So in the naturalist thought, it's a bottom up. You start with the simplest thing and it gets bigger and bigger and grows and grows and gets more and more complex. But in what we recognize happening around us, complex things 
produce simple things that then grow into complex things that produce simple things and you get a circle of life. Right, so the naturalist says everything that you can see, th that's all that there is. It's a closed system. Therefore, science can explain everything. Science has all the answers. But wait a minute. How do you scientifically prove that statement? Science has all the answers. All right, prove that. Test that in a lab. What test do you run? What can you look through? Can you look through a microscope and, and see that? Can you look through a telescope and see that? Can you draw blood and run it through a machine and, and figure that out? No. There's no test for that. To say science has all the answers, that's a faith claim. That's a faith claim. And there's not good evidence for that because you'd have to have tested everything in order to be able to make that claim. On the other hand, we have theism. And theism is the idea that there is a being out there that caused everything to begin. The universe did not cause itself. There's a being out there that gave it order. He is an intelligent designer. And this is where you often hear people talking about the watchmaker. I don't know if you've ever heard that particular argument or discussion, but the idea of a, of a watch, this is a very complex thing. This watch has over 250 working parts in it. 250. The combustion engine doesn't even have that many some, in some of the simpler cars. 250 working parts in this. Now, the idea that this accidentally brought itself together and gave itself order and taught itself how to work, you've got to have a lot of faith to believe that. It makes much more sense to say that there's somebody out there, specifically Peter Henlein, who actually created this watch, to say that there was a man who put this together and gave it the order that it has. So theism is the idea that God is the first cause. He is the uncreated being who created everything else, gave it intelligence, and now, if I can make one distinction, there's something called deism. Deism is the idea that God created everything and then stepped back and said, all right, go ahead and work, I don't care, and took his hands off. So he, he put it out there, he even created evolution and all that, and then just stepped back and let things happen. In theism, we believe that there's a God who created everything and then was interested in what he created and interacted with it. Is there evidence that God has interacted with humanity? And I would say, and in the weeks to come, we'll look at that, but I would say emphatically, yes, there is evidence that God has interjected himself into his creation since he created it. All right, final word on this. Genesis chapter 2, in, 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 in that chapter... God told Adam to gather all the animals and name them. You remember that? Give them names. Why? To keep track of stuff. So that you can have an intelligent conversation. So that you can eventually study them if you wanted to. Because if you don't classify things, it's very hard to then know how fast this one's reproducing, this group is it part of that group. You have to have some order. So God told Adam, name everything. That is the science of taxonomy. So the first command to do science was given by God himself in Genesis 2 to the first man that ever lived, and it was a simple gardener. <laughs> Mr. Gardener, do some science. Classify things, and that way we can study them as time goes on. So hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll dig in a little deeper and see how science very much magnifies the hand and the work of God. All right, let's all stand, if you would, please. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we're thankful tonight. We need not fear science. We believe it is a wonderful and, 
and a greatly useful tool. It's done much good in this world. And Father, we want to use it the way you intended it. And that is to benefit one another and also to magnify your handiwork. Lord, thank you that we can study this universe, this vast universe you've made. And our conclusion is, my God, how great thou art. I pray you bless our, uh, our lesson to come in Bible school. Continue to meet with us and bless the fellowship to follow here in this room as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys take a few minutes. I'll see you Bible school students on the other side just now. His heart was broken, man was mended.